Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, who brings us great comfort. Alleluia, Christ is risen. This morning, Jesus teaches us to ask. He is with his disciples on the night that he is betrayed, and he tells them, In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Here, Jesus invites us to pray. He teaches us to ask for anything in his name. And as Jesus makes this invitation, prayer becomes a gift. It is not something that is a burden that we receive from the Ten Commandments where we feel terrible because we haven't prayed enough. But it is a gift that flows from the gospel of Christ. We are invited lovingly by Christ to ask. We are invited to ask anything of the Father in the name of our blessed Savior, Jesus. Prayer in the name of Jesus is the ultimate freedom when it comes to prayer and our approach to God. Praying in Jesus' name means that there is no question whether or not God hears or welcomes our prayers. As we pray in the name of Jesus, we pray as those who have been justified by Jesus. Our sins are forgiven us. No sin hinders your prayer. And though we are completely unworthy to call out of God, all to, to God, to ask him of anything or to expect anything good from him, God wel welcomes and rejoices in hearing our prayers. And why? Well, because we pray in the name of his beloved son, Jesus. This is really the only true way to call upon God in prayer. We pray under Christ as Christians who have been given the gift of forgiveness, life, and salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. If it weren't for Christ, we would not be able to call upon the Lord with any confidence that he hears us. But since we are in Christ, we can pray in total confidence that God hears our prayers and does not deny them because of our sin. We are sinners. We do not deserve to petition God for anything. And as we are reminded in the explanation to the Lord's Prayer, we are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them, but we ask that he would give them to us all by grace, for we daily sin much and deserve nothing but punishment. Yet God, in his mercy, hears our prayers for the sake of his Son. He invites us to ask, believing that what we ask for will be given by God. And so that really begs the question, doesn't it? What should I ask for? What should I desire from God? What should I be praying for? What should I expect to receive from God for the sake of his crucified and risen son, Jesus? That's a hard question. And it's hard to know what we should be asking for first because we live in a terrible and fallen world. It's hard to know what we should be asking for because the world's messed up and everything's messed up and it seems like we should be asking for everything. Second, 
We have the devil constantly distorting what is good and distracting us from what we should really want. And finally, we have our own sinful flesh that is consumed with disordered affections and desires so that we never really want things that are good for us. And so what do we ask for? What do we really want God to give us? And sometimes, as we examine ourselves and think about what we want God to give us, maybe those answers are a bit embarrassing, and they usually amount to so many perishable things, like more money, a better job, a bigger house, more recognition, more praise from other people. Or sometimes it's something that has to do with our comfort. I wish I could lose weight. I wish I could have an end to my chronic pain in my hip or in my back. I wish I had an easy answer to my health. And often our prayers are not in vain, but sometimes our prayers are not what God wills for us. Sometimes we pray fervently for something, and yet God, in his love and in his wisdom, says no. How many have prayed for a cure for the cancer that riddles our loved one's body, or an end to this thing that is a continual stumbling block to my life. Sometimes in our prayers, we don't know what we should expect from God. There are so many things that we pray for. There are so many things that God may, in his love, say no to. And sometimes we desire and ask for the wrong things. James talks about this. He says, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. James, he makes it very clear. We ask the Lord for things, but we ask according to the passions and desires of our flesh. Sometimes if we evaluate ourselves or our lives, our desires from God, we can see that we're consumed with the desire for stuff that we do not need and that we should not expect from him. We ask for the stuff that would puff up our pride and fill us with this desire to be loved and admired by others or stuff that would make our lives more easy and comfortable make us popular and notable, or feed our passions and our sinful flesh in every single way. And so often God hears these prayers and he says, no. Why? Because they feed our carnal desires and they would eventually drive us away from him. 
if we really received every vain thing that we prayed for, our passions and lust would be so consuming and satisfying that we would no longer see the need for God. And so we would become a God unto our own selves. When Jesus invites us to ask for anything in his name, he's not teaching us to pray for all of our vain desires to be met. So many false teachers in the world say, hey, if you just have the right thinking, the right attitude, the right faith, and you ask God for what you want, he's going to give it to you. That's not how it works. No, God is inviting us to call upon the Lord for something altogether more wonderful than vanity and the feeding of our sinful flesh. The verses that come right before our gospel lesson this morning say so. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your heart and your joy and your heart away from you. See, Jesus is speaking of his crucifixion and death. He's, he's telling his disciples that they will not see him. Later in our gospel reading he, ta- reading, he talks about how each of them will be scattered to their own home. They'll be afraid and alone. And they're not seeing Jesus would be compounded by their own sin and weakness. As they will feel overwhelmed with guilt. Yet this will only be temporary. They will see him again, and their sorrow will give way to joy. And on that day, they will ask anything in his name, and it will be given to them. You see, it's all about the resurrection. It's all about being justified in the name of Jesus. It's about the forgiveness of sins and eternal life being poured out upon us. The disciples would flee in terror when Jesus is to be put to death. Peter would deny Jesus. Thomas would be so consumed with his own despair that he would refuse to believe from his brothers that Jesus is alive. And their sin and their weakness would make them so blind to any goodness or love from God that it would be incomprehensible to them. They would not dare to ask God for anything because God would be alien to them. He would be distant. He would be angry. They would be sinners come before a wrathful God who would just put his own son to death. If God didn't spare his own son, what would he do to them? But seeing Jesus alive, risen, and glorified changes all of it. Their sorrow, their despair, their guilt, and their terror before God give way to joy and freedom. Freedom to ask. See, the resurrection of Jesus changes our wretched hearts so that they desire something different than the vain pleasures that we so often seek. Those pleasures are revealed for what they truly are, all the vanity All the desire for wealth or pride or all these other things, they're dead. The part of us that desires the dead things is also put to death. That's what it means to be a baptized Christian. Our sinful flesh and all of its desire is slowly but surely put to death. And the new creation daily emerges that doesn't desire vain things from God. 
but we're being taught to desire those gifts that draw us closer to him. That's what St. Paul is talking about in Romans 6, as he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Christ. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4 reiterates this. It says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Do you see what happens? Faith in Christ changes who we are, and it changes what we desire from God. The resurrection of Jesus changes the desires of our hearts. He reorders our disordered passions by justifying us, by forgiving our sins. He puts our fallen flesh to death so that we may daily rise with him in newness of life. And as we are recreated, in that recreation, new and better desires emerge within the hearts of his Christians. Our hearts are reshaped and renewed, and we grow to desire the gifts that God desires for us. As the Psalms teach us, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the new day. To be a Christian means that we are no longer completely consumed with chasing after the pleasures of our flesh the world is consumed with carnal joy and carnal pleasure. More pleasure, less plain, equals ultimate good. That's what the world delights in. That's what the world loves. They confuse the spiritual gifts of God with earthly comfort. They say, I have everything I want. I have all the pleasure I desire. I'm blessed. Earthly comfort is all that they conceive, and that's all that they desire. But that's no longer what you, the baptized Christian, delights in. No, you have spiritual joy that surpasses earthly pleasure. That joy that comes from knowing that Christ has risen from the dead. 
the joy that comes in seeing and knowing that Jesus lives, that your sins are forgiven, and that you are blessed with everlasting love and favor from God. And that is what we ask for. That's what we delight in receiving from God in the name of Jesus. And that means that we ask that God would increase our faith, that he would fill our days and our lives with the gospel, that he would work continual repentance in our hearts, that he would humble our flesh and strengthen our spirit, that he would frustrate the devil and draw us closer to him for the sake of Jesus who has died and risen for us. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray as those who have been justified by Jesus, having received adoption as sons of God. As St. Paul writes in Galatians, he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And if we are sons of God, then God will not deny us. Jesus teaches, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. And so we ask in Jesus' name, knowing that our Father in heaven will give us what is good and what is right for us. We ask knowing that our Father in heaven will ultimately, out of fatherly love, deny us those things that would alienate us from him by driving us into sin or destroying our faith in Jesus. See, our Father in heaven is wiser than we are, and he knows our hearts, and he must feed us with what is good and starve us out from what is wicked. He must discipline us in fatherly love, and he does so by giving us good gifts and denying us bad gifts. The thing that strengthens faith the things that strengthen faith and generate true repentance and fill our lives with the assurance of the gospel, those things are good. Those things are blessings. And there are earthly blessings that support that blessing. Blessings like family, blessings like children, like mothers. Things that would puff us up with pride, though, that would satisfy our lust, that are, are callous, our evil hearts, our Father knows the difference, and he will hold those gifts from us. And so what does the Christian ask God for? What do we desire from him? Well, nothing other than God himself. We ask for him because he is good. He is our joy. He is the desire of our hearts. We seek to please him. We seek to receive his good gifts. We seek to delight in his will. That's what it means to truly worship God. It is to desire him. It is to receive him where and when he has made himself available to us. True worship is to receive Jesus. It is to hear his word, to live as one who is washed in his death and resurrection. It is to be absolved, to eat and drink his bodily 
body and blood as he stands in our presence to forgive our sins. The answer to every true Christian's prayer are found on this side of eternity in the divine service. As we gather for holy worship as God's holy children to receive his good and righteous gifts. This is most clearly and joyfully done when we pray the Lord's Prayer. You ever wonder why we pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday right before the words of institution and communion? That's because eating and drinking the body and blood of our Lord is the answer to that prayer. The rightly reordered desires of our heart are fulfilled. We receive Jesus, and he is exactly what we're asking for. Here we are asking God to give us the good gifts that he delights in giving. We ask God to rightly order our hearts so that we desire to hallow his name, delight in his will, and enter his kingdom, to thankfully receive the provisions that he provides for our bodies, to receive his forgiveness and be taught how to forgive others, to submit to his guidance and trust in his deliverance, to be led out from temptations to sin and be freed from the dominion of the devil. In short, we ask God to save us when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Save us from those things that would drive us away from him. Save us from those things that would destroy our bodies and cast our souls into hell. We are asking that God would fill our earthly days with Christ and his righteousness. And that is precisely what the Lord is eager to do for us. And this is all done for us in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. In Christ... The one thing that is needful is provided for you. Jesus Christ dies for sinners. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And in this we rejoice in knowing that we are redeemed. Our sins are forgiven. And we have been adopted as sons of God. And as we have regenerate hearts, as we are created anew each and every day, we no longer desire what is fallen and perishable but we desire God. We are rightly reordered so that we do not desire to feed our vanity, but to glorify God in all that we do and to receive his good gifts. And this is done when we live by faith in Christ and true repentance and in joyful expectation of heaven and the resurrection. He is what we need. So much of what our fallen flesh desires invites nothing but trouble into our lives. Yet Jesus has overcome the world and all of its trouble. According to our flesh, we desire the world and all of its pleasures. That's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking to the disciples at the end of our gospel reading. They, they think they have it all figured out. They think that they're strong. And then Jesus says, this very night, you will all flee for your lives. This very night, you will deny me. This very night, you will go and hide in your own homes, each to your own separate place. Jesus exposes our desires and our vain pleasures for what they are. But you know what he also does? He overcomes them. He frees us from them. He crushes them under his feet. And he gives us something much more wonderful. 
And this fills our hearts with true spiritual joy as our sins are forgiven and we're welcomed into the kingdom of heaven in Christ. That's what we ask for. That's what we pray for. That's what we pray that God would maintain and defend in our hearts and in our lives. That's what we pray that God would guard and keep in the people around us. When we pray, thy will be done. When we pray, deliver us from evil. When we pray, hallowed be thy name. We're praying that the gospel would be preached to us. We're praying that the gospel would be maintained in our midst, that the forgiveness of sins would be received with faith and with joy. And so Jesus says, ask. Ask that that might be done, and the Father will give it to you. Let's ask. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, strengthen our faith. Fill our days with those things that are good for us, and deny us those things that would drive us away from you. Cast a light on our flesh so that we can see how vain our carnal desires can be. And cause us to know what makes for peace, namely the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus. In this forgiveness, continually send your spirit so that we may learn to pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's rise.